The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. My name is Russ Ramsey. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. Thank you for tuning in for this third part of our sermon series called The Consolation of Christ, where we're looking at what Jesus has to say about things that are relevant to what we're going through right now uh, in our culture and our society with this global pandemic. This third sermon is entitled, What Jesus Says About Provision. And I'm going to read our scripture passages from Luke 12, verses 32 through 34, so it's a short passage. This is what Jesus says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Something is wrong with my refrigerator. There's a clog or something in a hose somewhere in there. It's a side-by-side. And somewhere there's a clog where what it does is it causes water to pool on the bottom of the freezer side. And when enough ice collects down there, it pushes its way through the bottom seal and compromises that seal. And then the ice melts onto my wood floor. And so about once every two weeks or so, I have to go and get uh, this rubber mallet from my toolbox and bust up the ice in the bottom of my freezer so that I can clear it all out and stop that leak from happening for another two or three weeks. I have to tell you that when I see that water begin to leak onto my floor, it is a, it's a spiritual experience for me. Why? Well, because when I see that water pooling on the floor, I feel anger. And if I'm being honest, it's anger directed at God. It just rises up in me. Indignation that he would let this terrible thing happened to me. Why me? Now, I hear the pettiness of what I'm saying. I, I, I hear the humor. I see it in being angry over something about this, something this small. But let me assure you that my frustration is real when it happens. And if I'm being completely honest, it, it is pointed at God. Today we're going to talk about a topic, we're going to dive right into it, a topic that our culture can be reluctant to talk about sometimes, something we can be reluctant to discuss, and yet it is really, really right down the middle of the plate for where we are as a nation where our economy is is languishing and struggling. And what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about provision and money. And I want to say three things as we get into it here at the very, very top. First, this is an important topic. Jesus talked about money more than almost any other subject. 
In fact, close to one quarter of his teaching involved wealth or possession in some way. So that's first. This is an important topic. Second, this is a very relevant topic. Why? Because we live in a culture of currency. We all use money. Some measure of money will flow through our hands over the course of our lives. And so this is relevant for every single one of us. And the third thing that I want to mention here at the top is that when the Bible talks about money, it never is just talking about money. It's always talking also about our affections and our worship and our fears and our idols and the things that we trust in. And so to talk about money is to talk about the heart. And so with that said, I want to tell you exactly where we're going, give you a roadmap for this message. The first thing that we're going to do is, well, we're going to focus on two major ideas for the bulk of this. The first is going to be exploring a biblical theology of ownership and stewardship. So we're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to follow that with a discussion of the goodness of money. And then I'm going to end with a a word of of personal testimony uh, from my own life that I hope will be encouraging to you. So first, a theology of ownership and stewardship. Jesus, I guess this probably goes without saying, but he held a biblical view of wealth. Um, His view of wealth and provision, namely things that we see in his teaching that we shouldn't store up wealth as a way of obtaining security, that we can't serve both God and money at the same time, that money is as much a matter of the heart as it is anything else. These principles, they're echoed in a prayer that King David prayed in 1 Chronicles 29. That's the last chapter of 1 Chronicles, which is one of the most complete articulations of a theology of ownership and stewardship that you're going to find anywhere in one place in Scripture. And so I want to talk a little bit here at the beginning about things that are drawn from that prayer that David prayed. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 18 And the context for that prayer is the people of Israel have just taken up a collection for the building of the temple. And the collection that they gathered together was unlike anything anybody had ever seen. It was was an amazing collection of resources that had been gathered up. And David is, is consecrating this offering to the Lord. And he's praying about all these things that the people had given in order to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And so he says basically four things in response to ownership and stewardship. The first is this, God owns everything. You start there. It can be so easy to look to wealth for our sense of identity and our sense of value. But the truth is that everything in heaven and earth belongs to God. That's what, that's what David prays in this, in this prayer, that God owns everything. And so what that means is we have to hold all material things loosely in this life because nothing really is our own. It's all his. The second point is this. Everything that we have came from God. So God owns everything, and everything that we have came from him. David says it this way. He says, wealth and honor come from the Lord. Wealth and honor here are an all-encompassing couplet that cover what we already have, wealth, and honor, that part of us that enables us to acquire more. So wealth and honor mean all that we already have and all that we will, every ability that we have to acquire more. 
So in other words, our lineage, which brings an inheritance, that comes from him. Our skills and our talents and our business savvy, those things come from him. Our particular giftings and leanings, those come from him. In other words, all that we have and all that we could ever acquire come from him. So God owns everything. Everything we have came from him. The third is this, and this is important. God retains ownership, which then makes us stewards, right? So in David's prayer, he says that God is still the ruler of all things. And so this is the argument. If God owns everything, and if everything that we have came from him, and if he retains ownership, and he is still ruler over everything, and we don't own anything, then what that makes us is stewards. So we're stewards of what he has given into our care. God owns everything. Everything we have came from him. God retains ownership, which makes us stewards. The fourth point is this. We must then, this is the therefore, we must then regard all that we spend and all that we save and all that we give as a steward's privilege. So because all of these things are true, David says even the ability to give to the Lord is a privilege, just as much as the ability to save, just as much as the ability to purchase. The fact that we have anything at all is because God has entrusted resources to us. Therefore, when we give, we ought to be humbled by the fact that we have been given stewardship over resources that he is pleased to use for the strengthening of his kingdom. Verse 16 in that passage says, we ought to be humbled when we can be generous. Because we're in this position where God has entrusted to us as stewards resources that we're now suddenly able to be generous with for others. So that's a theology of ownership and stewardship that runs throughout scripture. God owns everything. Everything we have came from him. God retains his ownership, which makes us stewards. And because we're stewards, then we have to regard everything that we spend and save and give as a steward's privilege. So it's with this foundation that Jesus talks about money. In other words, he's never telling you when he's talking about money what you should do with something that is entirely, utterly yours. Everything that we have is actually God's. So the two things that I want to talk about money, two good things, I'm going to name them now and then we'll circle back and we'll flesh them out. But the first good thing is money illuminates what we truly believe about God's character in a very pragmatic, almost clinical way. And the second is that God uses money to push back the darkness in this world. And so, two good things. This passage opens with Jesus saying something that he says many times in many different contexts. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not, little flock. These are words that Jesus is speaking to people who are fearful and people who are vulnerable. And what he's saying is, in your fragile estate, in your fragile condition, God provides for you. He cares for you. We talked about this last week. And that's good, right? Because we, we need him to. But the next thing Jesus says might be something that you would struggle to believe. I know it's something that I have struggled to believe. Here's what he says. He says, God actually takes pleasure in taking care of us. God takes pleasure in taking care of us. And on that basis, we shouldn't fear. What should we do instead? We should trust God and we should know 
that he knows what we need and he will give it to us according to his wisdom and according to his timing and according to his joy. Do you believe that God takes pleasure in providing for you? Do you believe that? It's a simple question. Do you believe that God delights in taking care of you? Because here's the thing about not believing that. To disbelieve that God takes pleasure in caring for us means that we believe something else in its place. If you don't believe God takes pleasure in caring for you, what do you believe instead? And see, now, all of a sudden, we are in deep theological waters, right? Because if I don't believe that God delights to care for me, that doesn't just speak to what I think about myself. It speaks to what I think about God. Now listen, God doesn't need me to believe in his goodness in order for him to be good. He's good. He's always good. But this struggle to believe gets us to this first good thing about money, and that is that money illuminates what we truly think about God's character in a very pragmatic, almost clinical way. You can just observe it and see. Without sentimentality, it's basic data. Because here's the truth. If I have pages of Scripture that are filled with story after story after story about how God provides for his people, often in almost seemingly impossible circumstances. And I have, I have passages of scripture that tell me that he delights to give us what we need. Passages that tell me life itself is a gift that is meant to be lived to bring glory to his name. And yet I worry about making ends meet and I get mad at him about my refrigerator. That fear and that anger over money show me that my treasure is really lying someplace else. It's lying someplace else. And that's a good thing to be able to observe, right? Because it's uncovering something that is true. Because we're a lot more likely to spot ourselves a lot of spiritual credit when it comes to maybe more intangible virtues like frequency of devotional time and, and that sort of thing. Things that aren't as easily measured. But money has a way of just getting down to the foundation quickly and exposing the heart as it is. And this is a really good thing. It's an opportunity to examine ourselves almost clinically before the Lord and see what we really, really believe. The second good thing about money that I want to touch on here is God uses it. He uses it to push back the darkness. I want to frame this for us before we, we unpack that a little bit more. Jesus tells us that money works two ways. It works as a servant or a master. We talked about this last week um, in, in that, in that uh, passage as well. But the power that we ascribe to money reveals which role it holds in our lives. It's either a master or it's a servant. So if I don't believe, if I don't trust God to provide for me, if we don't trust God to provide for us, money then becomes a master. And Jesus said you can't serve both God and money because what's going to happen is you're going to end up loving one and you're going to end up hating the other. When we don't trust God, then what happens? All of our financial decisions will be made in order to secure for ourselves something that God has already promised to give us, eternal security. 
When money is our master, even our generosity gets corrupted. We give now, not for the sake of others, but out of a sense of guilt or a need to look a certain way, uh, sometimes even as an attempt to get God to cooperate with us. Based on all of the generosity that we have shown, surely he could give us this one thing that we want. When we serve money, what we end up doing is we confuse our value with our net worth. We conflate those two things. We store up treasure that fades while asking money to do something for us that only God can do, and that is tell us who we really are. Money can't tell you who you really are, and it can't tell the world who you really are. Only God can do that. Only God is the one who is the author of your life. But when we trust God to provide for us, money then becomes our servant. So when we trust God to provide for us, money becomes our servant. We trust God, and then when we do that, what we do is we see money is basically, we begin to regard it as a river that flows through our lives. It comes in, it goes out. Sometimes it's a rushing torrent. Other times it's all but a dried up stream bed. Sometimes we'll make more. Other times we'll make less. Sometimes we'll make good decisions with how to use it. Other times not so much. But in the end, it's all a wash. The resources that flow through you will be as hard to hold as the wind. And in a time right now where the economy is struggling, it's important to note the pandemic didn't make it this way. The pandemic didn't make it so that resources are as hard to hold on to as the wind. It's always been that way, and it's never mattered what the amount is. No matter what the amount, when we regard ourselves as servants of the Lord and him taking care of us and us being stewards, we regard stewarding God's provisions as a sacred privilege that he gives to us, which leads us to this second good thing about money, and that is that God uses it to push back darkness in the world. When I trust God to provide, I recognize that the money coming my way, it can't give me life. And it also can't take life away. And then I can begin to see it as a currency that's really only good for the time being. It's like monopoly money, in which I am the top hat. I'm always the top hat. If we play monopoly, you can be the dog, you can be the ship, you can be, what are the others? You, you can be any of the other pieces. The shoe, I'm the top hat. It's like Monopoly money. The money has value while the game is being played. But in the end, it all goes back in the box. When I trust God to provide, I'm free to ask the Lord, who would you have me be? And what would you have me do as one through whom this river of provision runs. And this is where money can be of great good. We're free to pray, Lord, let my treasure in life be found in what you love. And then we'll direct not only our money, but our lives toward channeling that river rather than damming it up to try to hold on to what we can't keep anyway. 
Jesus says in this passage, sell your possessions and give to the needy. He isn't saying we should forsake all wealth. What he's saying is we should hold all wealth very loosely and we should regard it as a tool for good, not as a means for lasting security. That comes from God. What are some ways that we see money being used for good? I've seen, these are things that I just was thinking about that I've seen this year. I watched people all over the country donate to a family in East Nashville who lost their home to, a torn- to the tornado that came through at the beginning of March. This family, this family, this family is friends of ours. Um, that family is not only going to be able to rebuild, but they're also going to be able to stay above water in the meantime because of the generosity of people who love them. I watched foster parents take in kids who need a safe place to live, and they absorb not only the financial cost, but also the emotional cost in the name of pushing back the darkness on behalf of this child who needs help. I see the generosity of others give people opportunities to achieve things in life that, they, that are opportunities they would not have otherwise had, had not someone opened the door for them. I've known people who have taken in someone in their community who had needed help and just brought them in to be a part of their family. And they provide things that might otherwise be inaccessible. We can use resources to help things that don't exist come into existence, investing in the common good. I have friends, dear friends, who make their living helping people make long-range plans so that the river of resources running through their lives continues long after they're gone. Helping people and supporting ministries and families for years on end. This is all good work. It's good work. And God is using money for good. In a world of currency, God uses money to push back the darkness and to help things happen. And we get to be part of that. We get to be stewards of the resources that flow through our lives, that come in and that go out and that we can't hold on to, but we're stewards of and not owners of anyway. And it's a pretty amazing privilege to be involved in that. I want to conclude with just a personal testimony about this subject because I I have a feeling that my story is probably similar to many of yours. God wants us to see not only our weakness, but he also wants us to see his goodness. And I admitted my struggle earlier about my stupid refrigerator with its leak that I have to bust up. I admit that struggle, but I also want to confess something that is just true. And that is this, my wife and I, Lisa, we've been married 25 years this summer. And in 25 years of marriage, I have found many ways to worry about money over the years. I have invented some new ways to worry about money over the years, but here's the truth. Never, never in our 25 years have we ever not been provided for. We've had lean times, but those have always been really good for our hearts. We've had seasons where we did not know how we would make ends meet, But ultimately, God provided. Sometimes we had seasons of debt. Other times we were able to climb out of that hole. But always without fail, God has provided for us. And so when I look back, there's only one honest 
testimony that I can give. And that is this, God has always provided for us. He always has. And so on what basis could I possibly fear or expect that next year he won't? When this is all he has ever done. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You can't talk about money from a biblical perspective without talking about God and without talking about what you believe about his character. He is either good and able to provide for you or he isn't. And either he does this because it is his good pleasure to provide for you or he does it for some other reason. But Jesus tells us, and this is his consolation to us, is that Jesus tells us God provides for us because he is good and because he takes pleasure in doing so. Money invites us to take a clinical look at our hearts and see where our security rests. But God is still good. And so I ask you the question, what does the issue of money expose about what you truly believe about God's posture toward you? Not just toward your financial life, but toward you. Do you believe he provides for you out of his joy? Ask him to show you your heart, but also ask him to show you his heart. Because what Jesus is saying is true, whether we believe it or not. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So fear not, little flock. The maker and sustainer of the universe delights to give you what you need according to his perfect wisdom. And he not only has a longer view of our present circumstance, which can be hard for us, but he also has all the resources in the universe at his disposal for his glory and for our good. He takes pleasure in caring for us. May this be a consolation to your heart. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the words of Jesus. Thank you for the way that scripture tells us things not only about theological concepts, but about the, 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 the heart of God toward us. I guess those two things aren't separate, but in this passage we, we see the pleasure of God manifested in taking care of his people. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Help us in our fear and our worry and our struggle with the economy and with thinking about provision and wealth and all the things that are wrapped up in that, our jobs and our bills and all those things. Lord, make us to be people who trust in you and regard ourselves as stewards of the resources you entrust into our care. Give us an open hand as we use them. Bless those right now, especially who are working on the front lines of um, finance uh, and, and wealth management, people who are, are navigating those things for, with people where, where the market is struggling. Uh, give them, uh, sustain them and hold them up uh, while they try to, to, to steward well the resources, not only that you have entrusted to them, but that others have entrusted to them uh, on their behalf. And uh, we, we ask, Father, that you, would, that you would take us deeper into our affection uh, and love for you and delight in you through this whole thing. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Well, as we prepare to close, just a couple of quick things. Um, continue posting. As long as we're doing this uh, virtual gathering, continue to post uh, the hashtag CPC Nashville online, pictures of yourselves uh, worshiping and engaging uh, with one another. And, and uh, we love seeing those pictures. I look at them all the time on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I, I always, once a week, at least search that hashtag and just look at all your faces and you're, as you're posting things. Um, and also, again, just a reminder, if you're part of the church family here, uh, ways that you can give. We're not, obviously, we're not passing an offering basket these days, uh, but you can click on the Give button on the home page and on the live stream page, and that'll walk you through a process of uh, giving online a one-time gift or setting up a recurring uh, gift as well. So with that said, hear the benediction and the doxology. Let me, do invite, let me invite you to stand. Uh, if you're so inclined in your homes there or wherever you're gathered and to stretch out your hands and also your hearts and hear the Lord's benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in the matchless name and the finished work of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday, a great rest of the week. Next week, Micah Edmondson will be here, our new pastor of Location 4, which is all TBA, TBD. Uh, but he's going to be here preaching the sermon next week. I can't wait for you to meet him. Have a great Sunday, everybody.